0: Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hello from the Sacred Valley, Peru. I am going to be sharing a conversation that I just recently had here in person with my friend Daniela Gill. Who's been on this podcast once before in 2020, and then we more recently collaborated about the Mars retrograde that we're currently in. And I'll leave the link to that workshop in the show notes. I taught on the astrology, and Daniela Gill, as an Akashic Records practitioner trainer, invited us into opening the records for ourselves to channel messages about this current Mars retrograde, and it was super revelatory. I feel that in my life lately... You know, it started with writing and then finishing this novel that I've been sharing to the podcast, Hungry Ghosts of Paradise. Um, I've been thinking about love and I've been thinking about the nature of it, right? And the whole um, internal awakening that is removing the internal obstacles to love, which is a uh, paraphrase of the Rumi quote. And that love is like a central organizing principle that I feel I organize around in terms of how I'm aspiring, um, what motivates me. And I've also been tracking these kind of illuminating, powerful conversations that I have with my friends about the awakenings that we're having in love, in dating, in heartbreak, and how even as it's you know in the category of, say, personal or its relationship, it really is a portal to so much more than that. There's a lot of personal and collective healing that happens through relationships. And I think even the the relationship styles or the relationship conventions of the day, of the zeitgeist, reflect something that's working through the collective spirit, the collective soul. And in this episode, Daniela and I talked about recent paradigm shifts or openings around love, like how we're currently thinking about it. And we're two Venus and Pisces, so you'll probably catch that kind of energy in terms of the, the spiritualization of love or the understanding of love as a kind of spiritual path. So without, yeah, talking too much about it in advance, I'll just leave you to the conversation. Um, I will self-consciously name my one regret that I spoke a lot. Um, normally, in conversations, I try to create more space or ask more questions. But I, I got really on one <laughs> at times, which is something that I actually try not to do when I'm talking with people on the podcast. So Daniela didn't seem upset about it when I said something after and said that she liked listening, you know. But I think it would be a real service for me to have Daniela back on, regardless. Um, but also because I, I want (laughs) to like create more space for her to talk and I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious about that enough to put it in the intro. Anyway, a announcement before we start is that I have some openings for astrology readings with me in November. These are my evolutionary astrology fusion readings, which are based in my practice of evolutionary astrology really get into Pluto and the lunar nodes um, as an underlying portrait of the soul's inclinations and deeper motivations and patterns. But I'm also incorporating some things that I've recently been studying and picking up with Hellenistic astrology, as well as a, a ton, like a ton, of Greek deities and myths that I now incorporate into chart readings, though I narrow them down to maybe one or two or three that are especially prominent in your chart via Minor asteroids that you may have never heard of before, knew that you had conjunct your ascendant um, or what have you. And then these are 90 minute sessions. And at the very end, I either offer EFT tapping, which is a somatic healing technique, um, somatic trauma healing technique, such as if we talked about something in the session that felt really blocked, you know, and we're looking to kind of release stuck energy. Or I open the Akashic Records and offer channeling or offer some kind of personalized visualization. So this would be dependent on what came up in the session and what felt good for both of us. Um, but this offering, I have a few spaces in November. So if you look in the show notes, you can sign up for one there and do get on my mailing list as the best way to find out about readings um, because that's where I announce them first. And It's also just a really great way to stay in touch. And then one more announcement before we begin. Um, Dragon of the Moon and Evolutionary Astrology Initiation is beginning in February 2023. This is the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive that you may have heard of and had your eye on, but by a new name. It's a tight-knit community to learn evolutionary astrology together and to really develop a contemplation over our time together of the nature of your soul, (laughs) who you are at that deep a level. This is a question that I live with and that I've been working with since I discovered evolutionary astrology. Like that's what kind of gave me the tablet, the Rosetta Stone, if you will, to really inquire into the patterning of what I've brought into this life and what my dharmic threads are in this current life. This language, this evolutionary astrology, I consider a wisdom school and I love to share it. And I also love the vibrant, deep, sincere communities that form around it. So if you'd like to learn more about this course and apply, the link is also in the show notes. And I'll leave us to this conversation with Daniela about love now. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Daniela Gill, who I love to record with. And this is our first time recording together in person, I think. We've done a few podcasts here that have been loved by the audience, Um, but we were connecting over Zoom and we're here. We're in Peru right now and we are coming together to talk about love and like personal realizations and love. Um, Before we dive all the way into that, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, for the audience for those of you who haven't met you before
1: yeah so I'm so happy to be here thank you Sabrina and it's lovely to connect with all of you I'm an intuitive channel and I teach people how to access Akashic perspective also known as the Akashic records
0: Mm. I have been loving tuning into the Akashic records and for those of you who've heard me talk about it Daniela is the one who has introduced me um, and I've begun to study with you and we'll be going deeper into that soon super excited
1: me too so happy to have you
0: so we're both you know for the astrology minded daniela and i both have venus and pisces and so you'll maybe hear it um, through our conversation i think we're both definitely romantics and also love in this very piscean way And with Venus in Pisces, on the one hand, I've always understood this to be like an exalted Venus. It's like there's access with this placement to larger than life, legendary, magical love experiences, a really big spaciousness and availability for the magic of love and this capacity to really love a lot, love a lot of people, um, have passing magical experiences all the time. And so I think that's a wonderful side of Venus and Pisces. But the challenge of Venus and Pisces, I think, is the um, disillusioning experiences of having fantasies or having an ideal and then being confronted with a reality mm. instead, right? And so like, whenever I've been disillusioned about love, it's hit at such a deep place that it's like, I've even wondered, like, what's the point of existing? Like, it'll go to that level mm. of despair, um and that's kind of the main thing in my life that takes me to that place. Mm. You know? Me too. <laughs> Everything you
1: said. Exactly me. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so this is exciting. This is actually like a little bit I'm like kind of nervous to share, you know, in this episode to talk about like current love realizations. Um, but maybe we can just kind of set the stage of where we're at in terms of our relationship to love and kind of what um paradigm shifts we've been having recently. Yeah. Do you want me to start?
1: Yes, please. <laughs> as soon as you asked that question, I got a little nervous too. Like,
0: <laughs> okay. So I think one of the things that's come up for me is that um partnership has always felt really abstract to me, and also something that I've desired more than anything. Mm. And it's not been something that I've found easy to just go out and find or make happen. Whereas with my creativity, with my business, with my pursuits in the world, I feel very empowered and full of agency to make and manifest. Mm. Um, And so I've been really confused. I've struggled in my life of like, why is partnership so hard for me? Why have I had these epic struggles. Why have I had these tragedies? You know, if anyone's listened to Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, they know what I'm talking about. I've been single more often than I've been partnered. My longest relationship was two years um, with an ex-CIA agent. <laughs> <laughs> and beyond that, um, i that's the only relationship that I've had that I really felt was truly a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, not going to get into that one too much. Um, but I've had an abundance of romances. Mm. I can very easily walk out into the world, flirt with someone and have like a magical exchange. Um, and I've gone in and out of being open to that. I've had paradigms, like, what does that mean about me? Mm. You know, not wanting to be, um, you know, to be crass, like a slut. (laughs) I'll just say that I'm listening to the ethical slut right now. So I'm like, that word is really in my mind. Um, and they really reclaim that word and they're like proud of their sluttery and whatnot, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, but it's like, I, I love these romances that I can have and that I do have, but I really struggle with like, why is finding that one person that I want to merge my life with so difficult? Mm. And what I've found is that the people that I end up wanting to merge my life with are often very unique rare kind of feeling people who are not even necessarily that monogamous or that available. And so I've been like, am I just, am I unavailable because I attract unavailable, you know? And so as I've started to open this up, I've wondered what if after all, maybe I'm not monogamous, maybe Mm. this lifelong dream I've had of this like perfect monogamous lover, this like Superman who's like amazing in all these ways um is not the truth and like what if this access that I have to amazing intimacy a vibrant community tons of friendships romance romance with my friends um what if that's my style of doing and being in love Mm. this summer also I like fell in love with life Mm. which is like it felt like a weird announcement. Like if you see people on Facebook who like announce their partners, you know, and yeah. they're like, "We fell in love." It was like <laughs> everyone, <laughs> listen up! I fell in love with life, um, but it was really real. Like I have this um, this huge opening where I was like, "Life is number one, my number one bay," you know. Mm-hmm. And I had that before some years back with God, mm-hmm. but life is different when I think about life versus God. Life feels more terrestrial. Mm -hmm. and cosmic at the same time but i feel the earth with life you know i feel like the organic matter like plants and i feel like the the waves of what's actually happening in the material realm whereas with god i almost see something that's like beyond and infuses the material realm but life is just like this all-encompassing everything and i would you know even go so far recently i had um my first kind of like fall out of the honeymoon phase with life where I felt like abandoned by life or like, was just oh. going through something pretty difficult. Um, just some like interpersonal conflict that hit at my absolute deepest core wounds. Mm. And I was resolved to work it out with the person. Um, and they were as well. So there was no f- actual fear of abandonment, but I was like, how could someone this close to me hurt me so deeply. Right. And they didn't even really do anything that was as bad as I hurt. It was like my pain Mm. and I could really feel that, but it was like, why them? Why, Mm. you know? So I was really going through this deep initiation. And during that time, as I was relating to all of life, even in my Oracle practice, the synchronicities were so intense that I felt like I was on psychedelics every day. And I was like, life has gotten overwhelming what did I sign up for (laughs) by being in love with life? And so I actually started to dial back my Oracle practice because tuning into the all and the everything and just riding the waves became way too much. And so I had to dial it back to basics for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, right, this was a moment you know, where you fall in love with someone and you think they're all amazing. And then you get to know this deeper part of them. And you're like a little bit scared. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I felt about life. And I was like, even telling people, I was like, I feel like life is just fucking me. Like I'm being like fucked into oblivion in a way that doesn't feel good. Like I'm so overwhelmed, Mm. you know? And so I got to this place of like, I like, I'm not going to fall out of love with life, but things got hard with Mm. life. And it was just magnified and extremely intense But in that space, I really started to open up to a deeper contemplation of how I want to relate to love and this kind of intense, large desire nature that I have. And the way that um, it's so easy for me to kind of like drop into magical experiences and kind of like go on these rides with people. And it may be transient. It may be ephemeral. Or it may be someone that I have a long-term connection with, but we don't see each other all the time. And Mm. so we weave in and out of that side of our connection. And the whole idea of like finding the one person that I do life with like in a partnership way, I'm not closed off to that happening. But I wonder if through having this openness to romance and through actually dating and through being open, um, if it might be more true that I meet someone or find my way into that truth with someone I already know. And it's not a structure that we're enforcing onto the relationship. Mm -hmm. The issue that I've had with monogamy or even like why I haven't been in relationships so much is that I feel sometimes when I'm in relationship, I did have a relationship in 2018. I forgot (laughs) about it, but it it feels like um, a paper house. It feels like an illusion. Sometimes Mm. it's like, I'm really craving the deep soul connection and someone who knows my soul. Mm. And what I've found is that the people who do know my soul at the deepest level, it may not always be the truth that they're my partner. And Mm. does that mean I'm not open to the love? So that's kind of like the washing machine
1: turbine of
0: paradigm shift that I've been in, (laughs) in a nutshell.
1: Such a beautiful, I love your way with words, Sabrina and i love how you described falling in love with life and then how you had that like euphoric honeymoon stage and then felt fucked by life and i feel like that's what it's like when our hearts are so open when we're living with our hearts so open experiencing so much love whether it's with life or with a partner or whatever it may be with there's we're we're always destined to experience the the duality the contrast they feel in in love
0: yeah it was interesting, the space that I got to of, like, being in that much pain. I mm-hmm. should add, to that I was going through a dental surgery. Um, and so I felt, like, a raw, like, nerve ending. like, mm-hmm. And I had a sprained ankle that I was healing. So I had, like, multiple injuries, and I felt heartbroken. Mm-hmm. So I was just in a pretty sorry state. <laughs> and in that space, I really... Um, was relying on divination on a daily basis of like, how can I endure today? Like, how can I survive today? Like, it was just such a low. And I started to get messages from the oracles of like, there was one from the I Ching that was like, one who understands life understands excitement. Like Mm. when you start to have a glimmer of excitement, if you serve that, if you lean into that, this was the message I was getting from the I Ching. You're in relationship with life. So follow Mm. your excitement. Who knew the I Ching would tell you to follow your excitement, <laughs> but it did. And I booked a reading um, based on of a uh, exciting kind of impulse. Um, and this was with my one of my students and friends, and who you also know, Jonathan Co. Yeah. Um, but he gave me the advice of instead of praying for outcome, pray for strength. Mm. I was like, Ooh, like I have not prayed for strength in years because my experience Mm. of praying for strength is that life will challenge you. You know, it'll give you things that, you know, but I was like, I, you know what? I need strength. (laughs) So I started praying for strength and that was a way that I could kind of joke. Like that's how bad things are right now. Cause every day I pray for strength, you know, (laughs) but I found it and I started to pray for backup. Like from my ancestors, from my spirit guides, like, I don't have to be strong alone, but I need support. Mm. Um, And little by little, I started to have like some really profound shifts, but Mm. it was an, it was a ceremony, like to be in that much throbbing, unrelentless physical and emotional pain, Mm. and not have the choice to shut down. You know, it's like, there's no a sleep state or out of love state to go back to. It's just like everything was so loud and everything hurt so much. Wow. And in that space, it was just like realization and epiphany and breakthrough after breakthrough. And that was kind of incredible. Mm. And I thought, what if, in some sense, this is what love can do? Mm. You know, if you have, if a person has material or a pain body or parts of their ego you know, that are needing to shift, infuse a bunch of love into the person and a kind of science experiment ensues, you know, like for me, whenever I've had like a huge influx of joy or love, it's enjoyable, but it also triggers deep parts of me that are ready for transformation. And so I think that the way I experience like the deepest love, it's like, the highest highs, but it also is a medicine journey. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not my preference to be that intense all of the time, <laughs> but I haven't found a way to escape it per se.
1: I feel you on that. <laughs> so tell me like what's going on with you in this. In love. Well, as, as you were speaking, I was feeling into, I was reflecting on the last few years and my romantic relationships and something that I've been exploring, learning is around the way in which love is all encompassing. It truly, it embraces everything and it, it does have a dual nature to it. Like I'll give an example from my personal experience. I was dating a man, dated him for two years and there were traits about him that I loved and traits like experiences that I had in a relationship with him that were just like, ugh, could not stand it. And eventually I ended that relationship. It felt complete to me. And then I entered into another relationship. And this other man was the total opposite of the man that I'd been dating previously And it felt like everything that I wanted. And I felt so in love. It was the most exquisite, ecstatic honeymoon time. Like the experience that I had falling in love with him was beyond anything I'd I'd ever known. And over time, I discovered that the higher you put someone on a pedestal or really the higher you put anything on a pedestal, the more you romanticize something the further it can fall. Right. So I've... Venus and Pisces codes (laughs) here. (laughs) And I realized that everything that I loved about this partner also has a shadow side. It also, the other side of the coin, there's also something there that is challenging for me. Everything that I love about this relationship also has another side of it that is challenging. And I recognize that the things that I was... Judging in my partnership previously, where I was like, okay, I don't believe this man is for me. It actually also has like a beauty to it. Like it, it's like the yin and the yang. Like in the dark side, you have that little bit of light of white. There's always a side to it that is beautiful, is healing. It's always happening for a reason. And there's no, it made me feel like maybe, and I'm still contemplating this, like maybe there's no one that's really... Right for us, like what is right for us is what serves our soul's evolution Hmm. and what serves us into embodying greater and greater love. And that's not always us getting what our ego wants or what our ego prefers or what we have been envisioning. Sometimes it's really about expanding our capacity for love and finding more acceptance for more and peace with more with traits that maybe we would find unlovable or judge And it feels like maybe that's the real medicine in love. And that's been my orientation in this last relationship more so than it was in the past. In the past, it was like, oh, I don't like this. And in this relationship, it's really been all about like, how can I love this? And how can I just release this narcissistic focus on how can I get him to be that I, the way I want him to be? How can I get what I want? How can I like get that man? And it's more so how can I bless this man? How can I show up as an embodiment of love unconditionally, regardless of what is being shared with me? And I think the reason it was so safe for me to open in these ways in this relationship is because this man is so devoted to me. He is a man with such high integrity. He has so much love for me. He's like such a beautiful being. So showing up in full service in devotion where I'm allowing my ego to be annihilating, annihilated is not dangerous. In the past, I feel like I haven't been able to take that route because I've been in relationships where maybe the other man was more oriented to self. So the, the man
0: extracted from,
1: yeah, it, it would have been like a weird dynamic, but with my current partner, he's like, the opposite of narcissistic. He's so loving and so willing to see my perspective. So it's been an invitation into like letting go of ideas that I've had of love, of how my partner would be, of what I want and seeing how those actually limit my love, how I hold so many stories that limit my love that I wasn't even aware of because I do live in a I'm not, I do live in a state where I often experience a lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of peace. Um, But I, I did recognize in this relationship, like, wow, there are so many stories, so many conditions, so many ideas that don't serve love.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: And it has shifted into more so because this right for me. What am I getting? Like, am I you know, being treated well. Like, is this what I envisioned for myself? Into how can I love this? How can I accept this? How can I show up for him? How can I be what he needs? How can I like support and uplift him?
0: Right. There's like a a relationality that I hear you speaking to, where when we're in the phase of say like selecting, scanning. You know, is this person someone that I want to. Participate with, relate to, create with. There is an us and there's a them, or there's me and there's you. Versus when you're in the relationship, you've chosen it. There's a different third thing. There's a collaboration, or there's a quality of like, I've been feeling into this like an improvisational quality to relationship, where when we're interacting with someone, this mysterious experience can emerge from the union. Mm -hmm. And both parties, I suppose, just have to be down for that. And people aren't down and people aren't willing when they're in that phase of like, what's in this for me. Right. And also sometimes people just don't line up on a personality level very well. We don't have the same values, but when you do, when you are choosing someone And I see this not just in partnership, I also see it with friends and I see it manifest in like, as I've been traveling, um, even though I wasn't the last few months, um, I've been spending a lot of time with people and because I'm traveling, there's nowhere for me to go home to, Mm -hmm. there's no cocoon, you know, my hotel room or my Airbnb may not suffice as like, Oh, I'm just going to go back, you know? It inspired me to kind of stay out longer or interact with people longer than my normal social threshold would have allowed. (laughs) And I started to realize that because I was hiding from people less, because I was letting people see me in my under-resourced or moody places or, Mm. you know, just everywhere, that there started to be this um, collaboration. So when things came up, whether I was under-resourced or moody or the other person was, I was more game to just do relationship and not feel victimized or like, oh, this person's not what I want them to be in this moment or feel victimized by being witnessed. It just became relationship.
1: Yeah. Yes. I feel like that's such a big one. the The feeling of being victimized by other people and a big shift that I've had in relationship is in the past when someone is behaving in ways that I judge as relationally dysfunctional. I feel I would go into victimization, but in this relationship, I've really been learning not to feel like a victim of my partner's traumas or shortcomings, but instead orient myself as like holding the space for his healing. Like that's my role. It's to offer the unconditional love and going into the, the victimization doesn't doesn't help anything yeah. at all.
0: I was listening to this audiobook, Your Brain on Love by Stan Totkin just mm. recently. I think it's brilliant. One of the things he mentions is that in all of our partnerships, we inherit our partner's past.
1: And mm. what he meant
0: by this is that we become a potential projection of the partner's past partners, mm. right? So, like when we act a certain way and it reminds them of their past partners, they may project that. And that one could be like, oh, that's not my problem. You're projecting on me. But the author was suggesting like, this is inevitable. And if you're in relationship, this ends up being something that you can be responsible for. Obviously not to, you know, overextend oneself, but I think it was a compassionate perspective because um, sometimes when I feel people projecting onto me, it is my impulse to be like, that's your problem not mine right especially Ooh. if they're at a farther distance to me and i'm like yeah, this yeah. is kind of messy and like i'm not signing up for this however if this person is close to me um friend client student partner any of these kind of more close committed relationships if i'm receiving a projection from another person there's a way that i can work with that with them and it's like a game a game of not getting victimized by that, that it's even happening and just being with the healing that's unfolding because it is healing actually to feel oneself, you know, projecting onto another person and to be wrong, to be like Mm -hmm. inaccurate of like, I'm relating to you as though you're this ghost from my past, but you're actually not. Or maybe there are parts of you that are similar, but something is different or something has changed or I have more skill now for interacting with this pattern. And so we are upgrading and evolving, especially if we're making that choice to evolve through our relationships. And part of that is being triggered or reminded of things for our past. And if we're completely a no to that or completely unaccepting of it, and we just kind of put our partner in the doghouse every time (laughs) they do that, we might be missing the point of something that's coming through
1: to be healed or worked with. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel that part of love and and partnership is embracing. We've got to also love our partner's traumas, which lead to projections. And when we can take healthy responsibility, not like a codependent responsibility, but healthy responsibility over our partner's traumas and supporting them in their healing, we can create this like true partnership. There's true union, which cultivates this sense of trust where we no longer take the projections personally. It's like love is the ultimate protection. When we're in love, when we're in compassion, we're not, it doesn't hit upon our own wounding. We don't need to get defensive. We don't need to fight. We're not as hurt by our partner's hurt. When we can show up in love and in compassion, and then we can see where the projection is is arising from and through showing up differently, through not internalizing the projection, we offer our partner a new experience of love, a new experience of relationship, which ultimately heals them. And the healing happens together. It's like we don't get to experience this more evolved version of our partner unless we do the work together. Really, some of of our relational wounds require relationship to heal.
0: That was what happened this summer when I was in that really difficult spot was like I was having conflict, but it was being worked through. But it was with someone who was stable in my life and wasn't mm. just going to leave. Yeah. And so I had this whole different relationship to a part of me that hadn't really gotten to work out in a relational container in a way like that quite before. And so I was aware of my own projection, you know, and I had to like go through the fire and eventually it shifted how I was able to even approach the relationship and the other person. Um, but it was confronting to be met with such an intense part of myself that I hadn't gotten to work out except Mm -hmm. through the stakes of relationship. You know, it's one thing to abstractly think about it or to like even do personal emotional catharsis (sighs) about it. But when the stakes are there in terms of an actual attachment, it's a whole different story.
1: It really is. I feel like it requires almost like a Jedi level of mastery, brilliance, intelligence to be able to be in the projection feel like someone else's intense projections that we're in an intimate romantic relationship with and still holds that frequency of love and compassion and a higher perspective without starting to almost like buy into the role that they're projecting onto us.
0: Yeah. Or in my case, even projecting onto the other person too. Yeah. Being on either side of it, but then, um, so how do we differentiate though? Cause we're talking about like some really high level stuff and something that I've really connected with Pisces and Neptune is a lack of boundary. Yeah, And the lack of boundary can be very mystical. It's like you understand the soul of the person that you're around. Mm. And um, I've been in dynamics before that I would, you know, I would, many other people would consider abusive, but I don't really hold a strong identity of like, oh, I'm an abuse survivor or something like that. Because my experience of those abusive dynamics was that it was like a dojo of soul work. Like I saw the parts of myself that were hooked into it. You know, like even the parts of me where I could see how I was being treated and be like, that's not okay. But I'm also not even taking it personally. And (laughs) I was like able to experience it for some amount of time. But I started to have these new desires for myself, like this better life, this more abundant life, more, Mm -hmm. you know, financial abundance. And it was getting in my way that I was like some subjecting myself to an abusive relational dynamic Mm -hmm. one that I had become strong against one that I didn't take personally but ultimately like wasn't correct yeah and the more that I've gotten into embodiment too, my relationship with my body has become to a place where I can't afford to betray or abandon myself Mm -hmm. you know when I do the way it shows up is just not Good. And it's like I have this deeper commitment to myself, this deeper um, sensitivity really to my body's signals. And I can't override them in a way that I used to be able to. And so when it comes to like abusive dynamics, um, it does get to a space for me of just being like I can't even be available for this. Yeah. And it's not... Sometimes, maybe there's a moral thread of it, of like, this is wrong, or I shouldn't be treated this way. There's that type of energetic, but it comes down to this deeper thing of like, this isn't true. Mm. Like, I'm not actually available for this. My body is like, in you know, I can't open, I can't receive this. Like, this yeah. isn't, you know, and I just think that whole trajectory I've considered so. Piscean because I think my availability for those abusive dynamics came from the the high that they offered in terms of like Mm -hmm. the intense you know the abuse cycle includes um, like these apologies or like these kind of epic reunions and like the kind of ecstatic um, quality or like maybe the person's very charming or larger than life in some way Mm -hmm. and then tension starts to build and then there's some kind of blow up and then Mm -hmm. they apologize. And it's like the nervous system actually gets hooked onto the adrenaline and the chemicals that run from those types of dynamics. Mm. And a spiritualist like myself could be like, well, we have a soul connection. These are the things I'm working on. This is what I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what made me available for these experiences. So it's been this really interesting thing to discover as a Piscean individual of like, I want to have like really high value, high integrity love. And I do have a kind of capacity to really blur boundaries and like share the same dreams as people and like be psychically attuned to people. And I've gotten more discerning over the years of like how that can be mutually enhancing and like really like we're serving the same energy or like we're like devoted in the same way versus when... You know, you can have like the kind of the dark wizard, you know, the one who's like magical and open and attuned, but has some shadowy kind of thing going on where they're extractive or abusive in some way. And it's like, there is a part of the psyche. There is a part of the romantic that can see the beauty in them and feel like maybe if I just can get them to see the, the magic in the way that I see it, they could heal. And there's this kind of hypnotic allure to like, rescue or heal those types of like wounded birds essentially. Yeah. And then at some point you just can't, or you need to have proper boundaries and consent for even such a task. And romantic love may not be the best place to work out trying to heal another person, though romantic love is healing. Mm. There is a healing that's occurring, but there's just kind of a nuance of like, is it healthy or like is it mutually enhancing or is there some kind of draining taxing
1: non-consensual like thing going on? Yeah. And I've, I've been in a, a relationship that had some abusive dynamics and I felt that in that relationship, we were looping in our traumas. And in my current relationship, we move through them and we rise above them. There's a continuous, like the, there's no cycling repeating over and over again. And if there is any sort of repetition, it's lighter, it's more healed, it's more integrated. It feels like there's it's more a really of a good
0: distinction.
1: Yeah. There's more of a forward movement and it feels like our traumas are more compatible where when I bring my reactions to him, he's not as triggered as my past partner. And when he brings his like relational traumas to me, I don't find them as triggering as I did my last partner's relational triggers. So then we can hold more of a space of love and remain in compassion, which helps us then unravel the triggers. And in the abusive relationship that I was in, I, I worked with my channel, with my Akashic channel, a lot around that because we would go through the cycles that you talked about, Sabrina, and I still found it very hard to leave the relationship. I didn't like how I was Like the way we were treating each other at times, yet I I found it hard to leave, and something that my Akashic channel would share with me at times. Many things. Many. I my Akashic channel shared many different things, but one thing that stood out for me was how my Akashic channel never ever ever allowed me to feel like a victim or to yeah, to portray myself as a victim, as soon as I would come to my channel with that idea of victimhood and like crying and like, well, I've, you know, he said this, he did that. It it was like, no, nope. it was an invitation into honoring that all the experiences of my life, all the relationships that I engage in, give energy to all the dynamics that I give energy to, even if it's through my emotional reaction is somehow Revealing something within my subconscious or my unconscious. And the more that I come into deeper and deeper levels of self love, the less those types of dynamics will resonate with me to the point where there's no reaction within me. Where towards the end of our relationship, I felt like there could be more reactivity from him and I would have less of a hurt behind it, it would be more of a witnessing. Until finally it got to a point where it was like, oh, this actually doesn't feel right for me because there wasn't any sort of internal familiarity. I feel like an un- at an unconscious level, maybe I had some beliefs about myself that like this is what love is like or I deserve this, which I imagine were born from my relationship with my mother when I was a child was really, really, really challenging and we fought a lot and we had like these really intense fights and there was like screaming and there was, yeah, it, it, it was intense. So I feel like i cultivated these subconscious beliefs, which then made me susceptible to engaging in those dynamics. And ultimately my channel was always revealing to me that nothing could exist within my life without my subconscious, unconscious consent or like soul level consent, there's always an aspect of me that is engaging. And the perspective of me being a victim of it was uh, actually disempowering, yet I did have to maintain, I was always invited to maintain a perspective of I am innocent within this and he is innocent within this. The way that he is treating me is stemming from his own traumas, But underneath the trauma is like complete and total innocence. And as I remain connected to that innocence too, it helps me not engage in the pattern and not find it attractive or appealing. It like could not capture me anymore. I really appreciate that distinction
0: of innocence because I feel like there is a a contraction of trying to perpetrate um, and create blame. yeah, And that the deeper kind of soul level potential invitation of these dynamics is to find what's the thread? How am I engaging? How am I hooked in? Yes. And I think that that, you know, the compassion that I have been able to have when I've not been treated as I would like, um, sometimes I colluded with that compassion unnecessarily like making excuses or, oh, it's just okay. Cause it's this, mm. you know, and then abandoning myself in the process, yeah. And then once I got to the place of claiming what I desired for myself and like recognizing that I couldn't participate really in the dynamic anymore, I never got to the place of like seeing the others in this as abusers. So it's like they have these patterns they're running, a consciousness that they're operating in. And there was a, a mesh, an enmeshment of our patterns together. But yeah. also, there's still places where I like, see these people as like really, really deep soul friends, even if we yes. parted, you know, such soul-alikes. and so it's never felt true or in integrity to kind of turn on them and be like, they were this, or, you know, even when I've had these deeper realizations over time of parts of the relationship that felt really unclean, um, even as I come into deeper awareness of that, it's not about them being bad or evil or wrong or any of that. Um, Sometimes it opens up a deeper tenderness though for myself and like what my desire nature is Mm -hmm. and like whatever grief or awakening that I'm working through. Yeah. Yes. It's. Oh, I was just (laughs) getting, there's part of the things that I've taken responsibility for too, are like my relationship with power dynamics Mm-hmm. And the things that I craved, you know, like when I was um, younger, I really liked to have older partners. Mm-hmm. Like I really wanted someone who was more experienced, and that came with all these fun things and also a shadow. Yeah, and part of what I didn't realize, you know, these older men that I would like seduce, some sometimes they were pretty like, I don't know about this. You're kind of young, and I'd be like, no, like, and I would them that I was like willing, you know, assuage their fear that they were doing something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wow. And I think that part of what made me vulnerable in those moments that I didn't understand at the time was that, um, at a younger age, like my attachment system would just see them as almost like an end all be all. And they had more mm-hmm. time and perspective to be like, oh, you'll move on. You know, they attach differently. We attach differently as we're older. And so I didn't realize how vulnerable I was actually making myself in a power dynamic way in terms of being more invested, but also more naive. And I don't blame the people that I engaged with for the dynamic because it was consensual. But I think I learned a lot that was like very taboo or unconventional to learn (laughs) in those particular dynamics. Um, And so As I've come into that awareness, it's just been really interesting to sit with that and realize that um, the attraction that I had to those power dynamics was so that I could be initiated or that I could awaken in some way. Whereas now I'm 30 and like the relational dynamics that turn me on more are like about mutuality and like, Mm. you know, being on a more similar page. Whereas when I was younger, I loved
1: that power (laughs) differential. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I feel like it's supportive in our relationships, the way you spoke about everything you learned from the experience and received from it, instead of having some negative perspective of it, it shouldn't have happened. Or like when we're in an abusive dynamic, abusive relationship, like that shouldn't have happened, that was wrong. When we can relate to it from a place of like, what am I learning from this? What am I receiving from this? Then we really get to integrate the necessary growth in order to transcend that pattern. These like kind of every, lessons,
0: they're not very popular. Like, I don't feel like this is like the normal way that this is spoken about. Like, I feel like it's culturally encouraged to perpetrate.
1: And but then be, we don't grow. Exactly. And then we don't transcend. I feel and like when yet, we're blaming our partners for our relational issues, we're destined to repeat them
0: right and it's the actual like internal soul level accountability that transmutes the pattern and allows us to call in something different
1: it's like what allows us to receive the gift the blessings within the experience because everything that exists exists to serve this is like a universe where it's actually one consciousness flowing through all so it's all actually on a soul level supporting all it all exists to serve. And I feel like when we can relate to it that way, we then integrate what it is we need to integrate and then we move on.
0: You know, it's interesting, like something in like a couple years ago, I started to claim my desire for love and connection and partnership. And I had been like embarrassed about it for some years. Like I just kind of wanted it wow. to come easier. And I, you know, didn't acknowledge that that was such a burning desire And the more that I've opened up to it, I see like a lot of women, especially, like so strongly desire connection and relationship. Mm. Um, And I think it's really, when we see the kind of spiritual threads running through it, there's so much confusion and so much adriftness that's possible and also so much awakening. And sometimes I think that the conventional encouraged patterns of relating, like don't get us there. Right. And it's almost more of this like off the beaten path, kind of like in personal individuated lessons of love and designing relationship and designing relational agreements and understanding ourselves like that goes way deeper than the cultural scripts that are given to us. And I feel like that's been part of the disillusionment and awakening journey for me as a Venus in Pisces. It's just like (laughs) it would just be so nice to have already been married and just like had the whole (laughs) thing right now. But like I didn't feel it just never panned out that way for me yet, you know. And part of it was because I didn't feel like I fit into the script that was already offered Mm. Um, and yet. I think I've still been discovering what my own is Mm. and the experimentation of that or the learning of that is reflected in just having experiences and learning through experiences. But then I judge myself for not already being there and not already having the partnership and the marriage and the whole thing.
1: And Even in that partnership and that marriage, all the things (laughs) come up. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about that. Like what happens when you, you are in relationship. I am in relationship and In this relationship that I'm in, our honeymoon stage was like, whoa, incredible. I felt like I'd met the man of my dreams. He was so loving and compassionate, so gentle, so kind. I felt like we were just like that was it, just pure compatibility. And then over time, recognizing that things still come up. They still come up. They still need to be worked through. I felt like I was on such an ecstatic high for so long. And then after a period of time, it kind of felt like I normalized into the state that I was in before the relationship. Like some of the challenges that I had before the relationship, thoughts that I had before the relationship, just in my relationship to myself, my relationship to life, they started coming up again. It's like, oh, it's all still there. It's actually not... It, it feels to me at times that Society glorifies this relationship, and so we can have these distorted ideas that it's going to solve all our problems and heal us. And it is incredibly healing, and it adds so much to our lives, but that depends on how we relate to it. It's not something that's automatic.
0: It's not just like a destination, and once you're there, it's like all figured out.
1: Yeah, it requires radical responsibility. It takes work at time. Like It takes energy. It takes ego annihilation like a death of a former self to come into partnership which can be tricky at times because then it's like wait am i self-abandoning or am i like allowing a part of me that is actually not resonant with my soul to die for this relationship to for us to come into harmony i did have to let go of a lot of my ideas of who my partner was going to be what it was going to be like with him and what my life was going to look like because this did not resemble it. Yet the truth was, there was so much love and a magnetism that drew us together. That was, I mean, there was no way either of us could have denied it or resisted it.
0: This is a suspicion I have about Venus and Pisces, too. <laughs> and just to universalize it, you know, it's not just Venus and Pisces, but I think there's a quality of Venus and Pisces that is very transcendent. Mm-hmm. And so we can be attracted to the real love. And the real love may not look like on paper what our ego imagined for ourselves. Mm. And so there's a disillusioning or there's a kind of dissolving process that can come. But I feel like this is actually made universal in that like when people truly discover and relate to their desire, it will initiate us and like mm. change our lives in ways that are beyond our personalities understanding. Yes, And it's an incredible journey and we can resist it we can like make our lives like look good on paper and do all the right things but then people often feel disconnected and disenchanted and feel like there might be something more and when we do lean in all the way to the awakening to the love that lives inside of us that is part of that awakening to the magnetism mm. and the lessons that come from it um it changes us and sometimes in ways that we just really don't understand in the moment and it takes time To understand and I think there's an inherent insecurity about that like it's not very controlled it's very out of control kind Mm. of feeling yeah um and I think that that you know dialectic is really present in the falling in love state we Mm. resist falling in love because we want to maintain control or not go into difficult parts of ourselves or Mm. feel these unruly emotions come up but then we also like you know we can be in the falling in love state, and part of us is trying to get a grip or trying to align, and we're really just kind of, you know. And I think about this too from how do we open to the magic and also be sober? Ooh, is a really interesting. Whoa, you know.
1: <laughs> you said that, and like maybe it's the Venus and Pisces part of me. I don't know anything about astrology, but it was like, well, why do we have to be sober? <laughs> It's like a magical, enchanted world. Yeah, Well,
0: <laughs> I know. I struggle with that question too. But I think that what it is is like I'm open to the magic, but I don't. I don't like the feeling of following a trail of magic and it suddenly popping, and I'm like, "Oh, I was just high." Whoops. Yeah, you know. Versus like when the magic is there, but it's grounded and it has a foundation. Yes. And so I think of, you know, my romantic perception and my romanticism is something that can make my life more beautiful. It can make me a more ardent and compassionate, not compassionate, affectionate lover, you know, mm-hmm. to see someone in this like glorious way. But mm-hmm. if I'm using my romanticism to override realities yeah, instead of actually being romantic with the reality, then I'm in fantasy and you know, it's great for my writing. It's great for my inner poet. It's not necessarily sustainable. Um,
1: what a brilliant differentiation. Romantic with my reality versus romantic to override my reality. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: And I de- I see you practice it in the way that you relate and the way that you talk about your experiences in partnership. So it feels like... Um, you know, you are so deeply magical and like open to the enchantment field, but you also have this like super grounded, like medicinal rooted presence of mm. being able to address and be with the underworld material, mm. but find this way to relate to it in a way that brings one back into the heart or like even an elevated space.
1: Yeah. So I see you doing that. Ah, oh, That is so my intention. <laughs> mm. It definitely makes the like the challenges of relationship easier. Um, and something that I really admire about my partner is that he and what you just spoke to kind of reminded me of that. He has this habit, this perspective where when I bring to him challenging things, like if I bring to him a really challenging emotion, if I, you know, fall into like criticism or judgment or something that a former version of me would want to apologize for like oh um, when i bring that to him and then i if i try to apologize later he he always is like no 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 like thank you thank you and he's like i totally get what you were bringing to me what he said to me once was thank you for your tests they make me a better man
0: i was going to say this side of the masculine that you're talking about is just like I love it so much.
1: I love it. It's so good because then I can be anything. I can be moody one day. I can snap at him. I can whatever. And he, he takes it as an initiation. And he also takes responsibility in a way where he's like, okay, how is this reflecting something in my energy field? And he will empower himself to like work with it from an empowered place versus going into victimhood or going into blame, yeah. which doesn't really work. And that's always the way that I've desired to relate, but it's hard to hold that yourself. So when you have two people relating in that way, it's. Yeah. Well, this energy that you're talking about is such
0: a dreamy, like, I love this energy from the masculine of this like containment, Mm. right. Or like when I feel safe with men to just be my entire self. And I feel like I still have experienced this type of masculine energy have boundaries and not accept um, being diminished or like kind of, you know, I'm not just looking for someone who will take any kind of behavior from me or something. Like, I don't mind being checked when I'm like being out of line in some way, yes. but I love being, um, accepted in all of my moods and like just having the spaciousness to open and relax because, you know, part of my whole embodiment and like self relationship unfolding the last few years has been learning how to actually be emotional and not judge it based off of like, you know, why am I having this extreme emotion? Shouldn't I just be rational and fine right now? Like now I actually allow the emotional waves and I'm initiated by my own ever-changing inner emotional realm Mm. instead of hating it and trying to suppress it. And so when I'm with someone who will ride those waves with me and be there with me and not be like, well, why are you so sad today? You felt so happy yesterday. <laughs> you know, if they're It's they're just going the, yeah.
1: the different environments and climates.
0: Exactly. And so what you were saying about how like your energy gives him insight about what's in the field, I feel like is such a teaching of the
1: feminine too. Yes. And it's so beautiful to have a man set boundaries that are Boundaries more so around his reactions. Like he gives me freedom to be however I want to be. And the boundaries that he sets is that he's not going to engage with that energy. He's not going to feed that energy. There have been times where maybe I've brought up a story, a projection, and he just doesn't even engage with it. Like he just stays in this place of love and compassion. He's like, oh, that's what you think. Like, okay. But he's not diminishing me or criticizing me for it, he's not reacting. It's more of a listening without giving it any energy at all. And that's the boundary. The boundary isn't like, okay, now I need space from you, or like now I'm gonna withdraw my love. But I think it he like he often tells me that he loves the way that I relate so fluidly to all of my emotions and perspectives. So like I can easily express like anger or like rage but then move into another emotion without being attached to the story behind the anger and rage. Like I can, I move through perspectives easily and that is likely a product of my Akashic practice. I'm constantly coming into higher perspective. So I've learned how to honor my human, honor all of her emotions, like express them, but also not identify with them or attach to them, which then makes him able to hold space in an easier way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how when these waves come through, they do just want to move as a wave and yeah. happen. And to be able to be in that much permission of the human element of ourselves, Yes, I think, is also a paradigm shift around relationality. Um, because it is nice to be related to at that level of humanness, to have space for that and not to have to be like proper or appear a certain way. Mm. Because when we do that, I don't think it's really that intimate. it's no it's something else, you know, it's not like being enough. appropriate. It's being in public or whatever. It's not, yeah, the deeper, deeper side of intimacy, yeah, love encompasses everything. Mm. Anything else that wants to come through?
1: It' was so fun to talk about all of that. I love love.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm still so in the mystery. Like, I think this meditation of being in love is something that I really reflect on a lot because Mm. it also, the reason that I went on this big, expansive summer trip, um, it, it was in part driven by a desire to fall in love and not with a person per se, but this was a conversation I had with my friend Rudy, where um, there's something about the word adventure, or the etymology of it, um, that had something. I don't know if I'm even remembering this correctly, but that to go out and have an adventure was like to fall in love. There was a similarity in the etymology somehow. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, i had this epic vision of being in love. And I actually saw your. Um, Instagram post about the retreat in Crete. Ooh. And the energy of the post reflected the vision I just had. Wow. And so I said yes to it. And it yeah. turned a two-week trip to Europe into like a 40, 50-day trip.
1: Amazing.
0: But I really came across this awareness that um, the portal to being in love is like to like really relate in that expansive way to life. And I think maybe we have different, you know, we can fall in love with whatever chapter we're in, like times that my life has been maybe a little bit more contracted in terms of resources where I couldn't afford to just like go like play all summer. There was another thing that was happening that was Mm -hmm. like my routines and how I'm relating to my immediate environment and all of that. But it was like sitting in this space of I can have an adventure Like I should go have an (laughs) adventure, you know, I should lean into this. And it's just been interesting to see that the portal of this in love state has a lot to do with how I'm engaging my inner world and the choices I'm making and how Mm -hmm. I relate to the world. Um, And it doesn't always have to do with another person. Like other people are part of it. Um, But there's an internal
1: compass. Yes a huge learning for me has been that I cannot seek love from someone like from a man or from a relationship. It's like, I become the source, the channel of the love. And then that's actually what makes me not only a magnet to the love, like attractive to the love, but also available to receive the love. When, once the love is flowing through me, that my love for all of life, my in love with lifeness, then I become receptive to the love of a partnership and it's what allows the partnership to remain healthy.
0: I really feel that. Yeah, I feel you know. As a Venus and Pisces, there was a a time in my very early twenties where I was like in so much despair, and I went to an evolutionary astrologer, um, and he told me this was Ari Moshe. But he said something about that there would be a lot of love in my life, mm-hmm. and that I was also going to experience disillusionments, and that was part of it. But that yeah. I I am here to. Whatever my purpose is, it has something to do with love and I will love a lot of people. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but as the years have gone on, it's like, I just like going to gatherings and like diving into conversation with people where we like have this synergy and feel lit up by each other. Mm
1: -hmm. I love
0: like sharing ideas through the podcast. I love like teaching astrology. Like I love humanity, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that there's like a, a field that I work to cultivate where it's like the people that enter my life through my transmissions or through the connections that have been set into motion. Um, It's a celebration to me. It's like we're connecting over similar ideas. There's an excitement, there's a fire, there's a spark. Mm. And it really like enlivens me and it does resource me to not expect one person to be the whole universe Mm. and i think that as a venus and pisces are like this kind of expansive love that i feel in relationship to it's like as you were saying like sourcing it from within and then it's like there's so many mirrors you know it's like when i'm really excited like jumping out of my skin excited and i go out even just to go on errands and i'm just allowing myself to be in that full expression the people that i talk to are like There's like this ricochet effect of like being lit up by one another. It's like I come back from my big trip and I'm excited and telling people about it. And like the person who's like doing my skin, like gives me a hug after it's like, I just needed to hear that. Like, it's just interesting. Like, and then when I'm not feeling that excited or I'm just kind of having a more mellow day and I go out into the world, everything's just a little bit more mellow. And that's yeah. fine. It doesn't have to be high all of the time, yeah. but it is an interesting reflection to see that when I'm able to have that energy from within, it just becomes this huge you know, fountain out in the world. And mm. I really consider it part of my personal practice to like develop further range and capacity to be in these kind of exalted high states more of the time mm. and to live in that frequency as much as possible. Um, in a sustainable way and that's like part of my work to yes.
1: do this. yeah i've learned through my akashic channel how much information our energetic field has like it almost guides people and how to treat us what roles to play with us how to relate to us like it's so impactful Interesting. yeah and it has such a, a magnetic force as well Yeah, that just makes me think, too, of like
0: enchantment magic or like I think about it in the way that I like relate to myself in front of the mirror. Mm. Um, And that's such a portal. Like I've been looking at myself in the mirror for many years. You know, it's like I've gone through many different iterations of how I feel about my image. Um, I've talked to a lot of women, especially about it. And it's an interesting, deep experience that I think a lot of people have um the way you've talked about your relationship with beauty really inspired (laughs) me actually can you share because I I can remind (laughs) you what you said but yeah if you (laughs) want to share what I said you said something about like not being particularly preoccupied with your appearance like you felt like you're as beautiful as you need to be for your dharma and that when you see yourself in the mirror you're like oh there I am yeah I, I haven't
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I feel like I am perfectly beautiful for me. I've never felt like I am, you know, a super, I guess, beautiful woman that like turns heads because that's just not my facial structure. Like, it's, I don't feel like I have that sort of conventional beauty, but I feel like I have this energetic beauty that I love so much. And when I look in the mirror, I see me. I see like, a woman who I love, who does embody like this beautiful femininity and this beautiful love and is really doing her best in life to serve and to share and to love and to inspire. So I, I feel like I see more of that. And I feel like my physical appearance was divinely designed by, by God, by spirit, so that I am as beautiful as I need to be.
0: I've noticed that, you know, there are ways that people can drastically change their appearance, surgeries, whatnot, to like fit more conventional standards of beauty. Yeah. And then there are also people that like work at, and these are not necessarily so either or, but the energetic beauty is something that, um, the the energy of it mm-hmm. is something that can be cultivated without, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, Okay, without surgery, but psychic surgeries and maybe <laughs> yeah. like deep, yeah, emotional surgeries and whatnot um, are part of it. But I have noticed that, um, you know, this is like very, I don't know if I've even shared this to the podcast, but I, when I was younger, I didn't like what my smile looked like. So I just, I think I didn't smile very much because I cared about looking prettier than mm-hmm. I cared about being happy. <laughs> just like really. Intense. And there's certain times where I feel myself in a very contracted state where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to try to get beautiful externally. And I'm willing to like do these kind of beauty things and not have a lot of space to go have fun. And then other times in my life where I've been like, oh, life is happening. I just want to go play. Mm. And I like open to life. And then I see myself in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I like look really beautiful. And I got there just from opening to life. Yeah. Um, and so that's been interesting and I don't know why I was even talking about the mirror and, and that, oh, enchantment magic that I just noticed that the relationship I cultivate with myself, how I talk to myself, how I love myself does actually show up, not just on my form, but in terms of the interactions that I have throughout the world. Mm. And, you know, for sometimes when I see, I suppose it's a judgment, you know, when I see people who I feel like haven't gotten this code where it's like, they don't love themselves very much. And they treat other people poorly because they don't love themselves. Mm. And they think that self-love is selfish. And so they always Mm -hmm. try to be, you know, a good person to other people, but they're bitter and lonely. And I'm just like, why can't you just love yourself more? Like it would make everything better. But I do think there's a really profound teaching in that, like, the love we have for ourselves is not separate from the love that we have for others. Yeah. And so we can start, you know, in terms of having like a radical love ethic with how we treat ourselves and it's incredibly confronting to look at our self talk, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I've gotten mindful of like my thoughts and, and whatnot over the years, but to track one's inner dialogue and how we talk to ourselves Is it abusive? Do we have an abusive relationship with ourselves? And like being able to discover how to transmute that and how to like heal or like love ourselves, um, I think is a really big and important thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember when I was in that abusive relationship, my channel was like, well, this wouldn't be in your field if it wasn't familiar in some way, if there wasn't some resonance. Hmm.
0: Anything else that wants to come
1: through? Changing the ideas of beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Like I feel like as you were speaking, something I was reflecting on was how as women, many of us have been so conditioned to believe that our our physical beauty is like the ultimate thing. Uh, Luckily, I feel like I didn't go too deep into that conditioning only because my mom doesn't embody that really. She doesn't focus on her beauty very much at all and she just naturally is as beautiful as she needs to be she is like a an attractive beautiful woman and more and more i have felt that the more that i come into my own self love the more that i embody my res, my radiance and my sensuality and just my joy to be alive like my my pleasure like i'm loving life i'm enjoying life the more attractive it seems i become and it's interesting, I'm like aging, you know, it's, I'm not becoming physically more beautiful, but I find that the more I work with those frequencies, the yeah, the more attractive I become. And that's, I feel like our beauty as women, so much of it comes from our love. Mm.
0: That's beautiful. Mm. I'm so grateful to share this space with you and to record this because I feel like we every time we connect there's um codes that are exchanged and I feel very expanded every time I'm in your presence and often there is something there about love or romanticism that comes Mm. through our conversation so I'm glad that we got to record about it
1: yeah this was so much fun Sabrina I received a lot from all the brilliant insights that you shared in it it was definitely an edge for me to share personally, but really fun as well. And like offering a lot of trust to your audience, to your community, to anyone who's listening to this. So that was really nice.
0: Yeah, this is an edge for me. <laughs> too. How can people find you and connect with you?
1: Mm, you can find me on my website. It's danielagill.love or my Instagram handle is danielagilllove. Mm.
0: Thank you. I ah, thank you.